Life can come at you pretty fast, can it? Sometimes you just don't know what's around the corner. You can't see around the corner. You wish you could. You wish you could know what was about to happen. But life can happen, come at you pretty fast. Your, your wife may leave you. Your teenage daughter might get pregnant. Your husband may have some disease. You may lose your job. You, your parents may di- get a divorce. Life can come at you pretty fast. As much as you want to plan your life and be in control, your, in control of your life, it has a way of surprising you with unexpected things that are beyond your control. But not all unexpected things are bad. Sometimes they turn out to be an unexpected blessing. That's what we're going to learn today. That not all the unexpected turns in life are bad. Sometimes they turn out to be unexpected blessings. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. As you're turning there, let me recap where we've been in Ruth chapter 1 since it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in the book of Ruth. Because Ruth chapter 1 really sets the stage for what we're going to see in Ruth chapter 2. So let me recap where we've been so far. In chapter 1, the story revolves around a woman named Naomi. Uh, There is a famine in the land in Bethlehem. Remember that the name or the word Bethlehem means the house of bread. There's a famine in the house of bread. There's no food there. So Naomi and her husband and her two sons moved to Moab in search of food. Now, we talked about this. There's debate as to whether or not that was a wise decision, leaving the promised land, leaving the land of God, uh, going to Moab. Perhaps that was not the wisest decision to make. We're not sure about that. But when they do get to Moab, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies unexpectedly. Naomi's left with her two sons who end up marrying Moabite women. And after about 10 years in Moab, both Naomi's sons die also. So now she's left with empty arms and an empty house and two daughters-in-law she has to somehow help take care of. Naomi hears that the famine back in Bethlehem is over. She decides that it's time to go home. So leaving the graves of her husband and her two sons, she walks away from Moab, and she walks back to Bethlehem. As Naomi enters that small town of Bethlehem, it's a small town. People know what's happening in that little town. When they hear that Naomi is back, when they go running out to the street to greet her, they say in disbelief, can this be Naomi? The years have been hard on her. The pain in her face, the bitterness in her soul had taken a toll. And she says in chapter 1, verse 20, Don't call me Naomi. And the word Naomi, the name means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. And she says, Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I want you to hear the hardness in those words. I want you to sense the pain in those words when she says, The Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. And then she explains why she says that in verse 21. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord did this. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. 
Two times in those two verses, we see the Lord referred to as the Almighty. The Almighty, the name means all-powerful. And so here's what Naomi is saying. She feels like the God who can do anything did nothing. And she is angry and she is bitter in her spirit. But, everybody look up here for a moment. But, that's only chapter 1. You see, that's, that's where we get stuck sometimes is in chapter 1. See, what we don't realize, sometimes we give up on God and turn away from God before we get to chapter 2. In chapter 2, we see another unexpected turn in Naomi's life, another unexpected turn in Ruth's life as well. But it's not another tragedy. It is an unexpected blessing. And there's an important lesson in, in that whole process that we're going to be looking at today. Here's what we're going to learn from Ruth today. Our circumstances don't write our story. God does. That's the truth we're going to learn today as we look at the Scripture. Our circumstances don't write our story. God does. Ruth and Naomi had some awful circumstances. Some of you are living in awful circumstances. They lived through some painful times, some anxious days. They, they were living in horrible circumstances. But hear me, church, our, our story is not written by our circumstances. God is the author of our story. Now, you need to remember this. The unexpected turns in life that we encounter are not unexpected to God. See, we can't see around the corner, but God can. God knows what's ahead. I like what David Platt said regarding this. He said, God sovereignly ordains tragedy to set the stage for surprising triumph. In those moments when it may seem that God is farthest from us, He may be laying the foundation for the greatest display of His faithfulness to us. In the darkest days... He may be laying the foundation to show his faithfulness to you in an amazing way. So we come to Ruth chapter 2, and here's what we're going to do today. We're going to walk slowly through the whole chapter and take it verse by verse and let the story unfold. Let's just begin with verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Verse 1, a new person is introduced to the story. For the first time in the book of Ruth, we hear about a man named Boaz. Now, in chapter 1, of course, Naomi and Ruth are widowed, and they are childless, and they have two major needs, food and family. They leave Moab, go back towards Bethlehem, seeking to meet those two major needs in their life, the need for food and the need for family. And verse 1 is the first sign of good news in the book. You see, in verse 1, we're introduced to this man named Boaz. And look at, there's two important facts about him. First of all, it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. So he's from the clan of Elimelech. Here's the first little bit of good news in the story. The first little just little small piece of good news in the story. He's from the clan of Elimelech. Now let me explain what that means, why that's so significant in the story. 
In that day, the society worked like this in the Israelite society. As an individual, you were, of course, part of a family. And your family was a part of a clan. And the clans formed together to form tribes. And so, Boaz is of the clan of Elimelech. Now, when you, someone was in your clan, it was your responsibility to help take care of them. So this is a significant note in the story. Boaz is from the same clan as Elimelech was, Naomi's husband. And we find the second thing about Boaz in verse 1. He was a man of standing. That simply means that he was a man of great wealth and a man of character. Here was a man who had the means to take care of Naomi. Here was a man who had the means to take care of Ruth. Here was the man who had the financial resources to help these ladies. And he was just the type of man to do it. He was a man of character. He was a man of standing. So this is the first glimmer of hope in the book. This is the first glimmer of help in the book. So we come to verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eye, in whose eyes I find favor. Now, the law of Moses instructed landowners to, when the harvesters came through, to leave some. Not to try to pick up everything that they, they could, but to leave some so that the poor and the alien and the widow and the fatherless could glean the grain and gather food. In fact, Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 is the reference if you want to write it down. Listen to what it says. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So in chapter 2, verse 2, Ruth says to Naomi, let me go out and see if I can find a landowner who is following God's command and who will allow me to gather some grain. Let me go out and see if I can find a landowner who is following God's command and who will show favor on me. Here is a foreign woman living in an Israelite culture. She really doesn't know anybody. And she needs to find somebody who will allow her to walk through the field and, and maybe get enough food for a day or two. Now, this is where the story really gets good. I want you to focus with me in chapter 2. Now let's go to verse 3. This is where it really begins to get good. So, she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now I want you to notice, whether you underline it or not, I want you to notice this phrase, as it turned out. The writer of this book is using a literary device to show the readers that from Ruth's perspective, from Ruth's vantage point, there is nothing out of the ordinary going on. From Ruth's vantage point, she's simply going to glean grain in the fields. And, but what a coincidence. Out of all the fields that she could have chosen in Judah, she just happened to go to the field belonging to Boaz, who was Naomi's relative. It was an ordinary field to Ruth. But what she did not know at the time was that the Lord was leading Ruth not just to a field. The Lord was leading Ruth to Boaz. Now please remember this truth. Nothing happens by accident in the work of God. You see, everything happens not by accident, but by appointment. 
God is sovereign. And He alone orchestrates the events of our lives. Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God is sovereign. And so when we come to the story of Ruth, we see the sovereignty of God displayed in easily in chapter 2, and the story just keeps getting better. You see, Ruth just happened to come to Boaz's field, and when she got there, you're never going to guess who happened to show up at the exact same time. Look at verse 4. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. I told you a couple of weeks ago that Ruth is a love story. It's the ultimate love story in the Bible. It, it puts all the romance novels and the movies in our culture to shame. It is a love story. And ladies and gentlemen, this is where the love story begins. Now guys, be honest with me. Come on now. Have you ever watched a chick flick with your wife or with your, your girlfriend? And uh, Have you ever seen how syrupy and how everything just kind of works together perfectly? Have you ever wanted to turn to your wife and say, that kind of stuff doesn't happen in real life? Um, me too. But it does happen in real life when you're reading the Scriptures because God is sovereign. God has the ability to send Ruth not just to any field, but to Boaz's field. God has the ability to send Boaz to check on his field, not at any time, but at the same time that Ruth happens to be in his field. God in his sovereignty are bringing these two together. And this is where the love story begins. Look at verse 5. It's a great verse. Boaz asked the foreman of his, uh, the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? Now, that's a Hebrew way of saying, man, who is that? I mean, Ruth got his attention. I get the impression, I'm reading through kind of between the lines here, I get the impression it was probably love at first sight. And the reason I say that is because from this point on in the story, Boaz focuses on Ruth and he forgets about the harvest. So we get to verse 6. And he's asking, who is that, who is that woman? Verse 6, here's, here's what it says. The, for, the foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. Notice how he emphasizes she is the Moabitess who came from Moab. Translation, she's not from around here. She's a foreigner. She really doesn't deserve to be here. But Boaz doesn't really care that she's a foreigner. Boaz makes a beeline for Ruth, which is really surprising because here is a wealthy Israelite landowner who is going to talk to a Moabite woman who is a foreigner in his field who really is on the lowest rung of the ladder. She has nothing. In fact, she has so little that she has to go to somebody else's field and, and get grain up and not just harvest the grain, but just pick up the leftovers. She's so poor, she's living on the leftovers of the grain, and now this wealthy landowner, who is an Israelite, comes to her and begins to talk to her. 
I mean, it's just like a love story. You know, the wealthy guy, the guy that owns the business, and the girl who's, who's working at his company, and somehow they bump into each other, and, and all of a sudden, this wealthy guy who can have anything is falling in love with this girl who has nothing. I mean, it's just like a love story, right? Where do you think Hollywood got these ideas? So, he makes a beeline for Ruth and Notice what he says to Ruth in verse 8 and 9. Look what he says to Ruth in verse 8 and 9. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. How's that for an Old Testament pickup line? Here's Shorter's translation. Honey, won't you just stay right here and work? You just stay here in this field. I'll make sure that we take care of you. I'll make sure that no one harms you. And I like the way he says, don't go anywhere else. Don't go anywhere. I want you to stay right here. And you know what? It worked. Because look what happens in verse Verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I don't deserve this. Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. This is a small town. Word gets around. Boaz is saying, I I know who you are. I've heard, I've never seen you before now, but but I've heard about you. I've heard the good things that you've done for your mother-in-law, for your family. Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done, and may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's a beautiful picture right there, ladies and gentlemen. Ruth is learning to trust in God. She has come not just to this land. She has come now to put her faith in God. Verse 13. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Now, that's the end of the conversation. Until about lunchtime. At lunchtime, Boaz is still hanging around the field. At lunchtime, Boaz says, I need to talk to her again. So in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. Now, I don't know if you catch this or not, but guys, do you remember your first date with your wife? Remember first date with, maybe it's your girlfriend do you remember your first date? Where did you go? Don't have to answer that out loud. I can tell you where Lisa and I went. Uh, we went to a restaurant in Morristown, Tennessee called Sambo's. She should have known I was cheap from the first date. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, thrifty, thank you. I, I don't, do you remember that first date with your wife, the lady who would one day be your wife or your girlfriend? The first dates are awkward, aren't they? You're afraid of saying the wrong thing. You're afraid you're going to spill your food. You're, you're afraid you're going to eat like a slob. 
I mean, it was just awkward, you know. You're just try, trying to think of what am I going to say next? What are we going to talk about? What questions? are? Boy, she is pretty. And I'm trying to keep your mind on, you know, they're just awkward. This was Ruth and Boaz's first date. Right here at the grain field, verse 14, read it again, chapter 2, verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. I love this part. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Now, here's the reason this is kind of funny to me. She started taking the food that she had left over. She started putting it in her pocket. I mean, she's just stashing the food away. It's the first doggy bag in Scripture. She just has food left. So how do you know? What, what did she do with it? Well, if you look down to verse 18, you can scan down to verse 18. When she got home, she started pulling food out of her pocket. Said, here, Naomi, I've got some, I didn't eat it all. I, I brought some for you too. So here's Boaz, and he's sitting across the table from her, watching her stuff her pockets with food. It's just like a Hollywood movie, isn't it? I mean, he's just kind of laughing at her, you know? And she's hungry, and she's taking all that she wants, and then she's taking more, and she's stuffing her pockets with food. And, and he's falling in love. He's falling in love. Ruth, uh, Boaz is more than just a little interested here. Because it says in verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, here's what I want you to do. Pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Ruth has captured his heart. Now, remember the two great needs of Naomi and Ruth? The two great needs were food, and family. Read verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley she gathered, and it amounted to an effort. And she carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered, and Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over. She got it out of her doggy bag after she had eaten enough. Now, he's, it says in the text that she got enough grain to have an effort. Now, how much is that? Well, I did some research and found out it's about a half a bushel of grain, which would, which would weigh probably about 30 pounds. It probably would be enough grain for at least a week, maybe more. She was going that day looking for a little bit of grain to make a meal or two, and she comes home with enough grain for a week or more. She had two needs, right? Food and family. God has suddenly met their need for food. She has more than she needs right now. God is about to meet her need of family. Listen to what happens next. This is so good. Go down to verse 19. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. It's, it's you might want to mark, blessed be the man who took note of you. It's interesting to me that the last time we see Naomi, Naomi is a bitter woman. Naomi is angry at God. She is angry at life. She is a bitter old woman. But isn't it interesting that in the, now, in this text, we see, see something totally different. She's gone from bitterness to happiness. From bitterness 
to blessing. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me over in the Life Center. Listen to me. Could it be that in the middle of your sorrow and your suffering, God is sovereignly planning ahead for the day when you will smile again? Could it be that God is working through circumstances that you don't even realize, and He's working for your good and for your provision, and He's working towards the day when you will smile again? Naomi is so happy and surprised that that she repeats herself. She keeps asking, where? Where did you work today? Where did you glean today? She just can't get it into her mind how much food Ruth has brought home. She's overwhelmed by the amount of food that Ruth has brought home. So she keeps asking this question. Where did you, where did you work? Where? And you can almost see the smile on her face. It's a smile probably that hadn't been there for a long time. And I bet, I'm reading between the lines, but I bet Ruth was smiling too. As she saw the smile come back to Naomi's face, they looked at this beautiful Beautiful bag of grain. And all Naomi could say is, Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Now, what we're about to read is probably one of the most beautiful moments in the story. Let me set it up for you. Just just look up here. Let me set it up over in the Life Center. Look at me here. Let me set it up for you. It's a beautiful moment in this story. Naomi asked the question, Where have you been working? Where have you been gleaning this grain? That, that, that's the question. Before we get to the answer, let me set it up for you. Ruth knows where she's been working. She's been in the fields of Boaz. But she doesn't know who Boaz is. Who Boaz is. Naomi knows who Boaz is, but she doesn't know that Ruth has been in his field. Do you get it? They, they each know a part of the story, but neither of them know the whole story. So as readers, we know what's about to happen. As readers, we can see the whole story, but these two ladies are unaware of what's about to transpire. I mean, you think Naomi had a smile on her face when she saw the grain? Now watch what happens in verse 19, the second half of verse 19. Ruth told her, Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. She said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, apparently Ruth probably had a confused look on her face, and she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Naomi began to recognize God's sovereignty at work. Because without human direction, Ruth found their near relative of Boaz. Naomi began to see the sovereign hand that God at work because without human intervention, Ruth happened to walk to the right field at the right time to meet the right man that could help them. Just happened to work out that way. Just mere coincidence that it worked out. No. Ladies and gentlemen, may I say it to you again. God is sovereign. God's not auditioning for the part. He is sovereign. And in this situation, we see the sovereignty of God displayed. In this situation, we see that our circumstances do not write our story. God does. 
So I, I want to say, what can we learn from Ruth chapter 2? What, what is the Holy Spirit wanting to teach us? You say, well, what is a kinsman redeemer? I'm going to tell you about that next week. But God in His divine plan was bringing Boaz into the life of Ruth and Naomi so that He could take care of them. And the love story will continue next Sunday. But what can we learn from chapter 2 today? There's two things I want to emphasize to you. Number one, the Lord's kindness never fails. Naomi thought it had. Naomi thought it had. This story is really an Old Testament illustration of a New Testament truth. You know the verse. You could probably quote it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. We know that verse. We quote that verse. In the Old Testament, here's an illustration of that verse. Their circumstances were not good. But God was able to take what was not good and work it for their good. You see, the Lord's kindness never fails, even when you think it has. If you're living in chapter 1 and you're broken and you're bitter, if you're still living in chapter 1 and your, your life and your arms feel empty, know this, there is a chapter 2 in your future. And your Heavenly Father is working behind the scenes to meet your needs and to make you one day smile again. There's a second thing we can learn from Ruth, and it's this. I've been saying it throughout the message, but I want to emphasize it here. God is sovereign. You know what the word sovereign means? It means He's in control. It means He's greater than anything and everything. It means that He is supreme over all things. Because He is supreme over all things, He is in control. He is sovereign. You know, some unexpected turns in life test your faith, don't they? That's Ruth chapter 1. Some unexpected turns in life test your faith. And some unexpected turns in life strengthen your faith. That's Ruth chapter 2. Chapter 1, their faith was tested. And in chapter 2, their faith was strengthened. But it's still God regardless, isn't it? He's still on the throne in chapter 1 just like He was in chapter 2. He's still sovereign in chapter 1, just like he was in chapter 2. And there's the dilemma, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's easy to say that God is sovereign when there is a blessing. But we hesitate to say that when our hearts are broken, don't we? It's hard to utter those words when all of a sudden your world's turned upside down. I love what A.W. Tozer wrote when he wrote these words, while it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who hasn't surrendered His authority. Isn't that powerful? It may look like there are things that are out of control, but there is a God who hasn't surrendered His authority. So this week, if you're living in chapter 1, if you find yourself stuck in chapter 1, if you find yourself scared and angry, and maybe bitter. Remind yourself that chapter 2 is coming. And by faith claim and speak three powerful words. By faith claim and speak these words. Say them out loud this week. God is sovereign.
by faith, say it if you don't even feel it. God is sovereign. Keep saying it even if you don't believe it. God is sovereign. And keep saying it until you can mean it. God is sovereign. Remind yourself that you can rest in the fact that the God that you know is in control. You can trust Him with those things that are out of control. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Over in the Life Center, I want you to bow your heads. I want to end this sermon by quoting some Scripture to you. Before we have the invitation, I just want to read Scripture to you. But I don't want you to be looking at me. I want you just to let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. So that every head bowed, every eye closed. You know what I found out, congregation? I found out that when I'm anxious and when I'm worried, it's usually because I'm trying to do everything myself. When I'm at peace, it's usually because I remember that God is in control. And that's the message that we find all through Scripture again and again. Listen to these Scriptures. Maybe they will minister to you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10 Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. It's not always easy to trust that God is in control, and it often comes down to a choice, doesn't it? Choosing not to allow fear and anxiety to control your life is the first choice. Choosing to guard your heart. Choosing to focus your mind on what is true. In the midst of uncertain times. We may not be in control. But we can trust the one who is. We may not know the future. But we can know the God who does. Three powerful words. Sometimes bring unexpected blessings. God is sovereign. May you hang on to those words. And to the truth found in those scriptures. You know the Lord. The Lord knows you. And He is sovereign. God, I thank You for those unexpected times, those unexpected days, those unexpected blessings where You meet our needs. And they are a reminder that that ultimately our circumstances do not write our story, but You do. Remind us of that truth this week and this month. 
God is sovereign. And you ultimately write our stories. Minister to those who are hurting, I pray, as only you can, through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.